I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half Half As Well, Well, where we promise Tolkien lore half as much as you should like. Explained half as well as you deserve. Okay, after a little hiatus, uh, we are back to finish up the Silmarillion. Yeah, or to finish up the Silmarillion proper. Um, There's a couple more stories at the end, but they deal with the Second Age. We're going to push that back to our Second Age prep uh, episode, where we'll also include a few things from Unfinished Tales and the Lord of the Rings appendices. But these last three chapters, the Ruin of Doriath through the Voyage of Eärendil and the War of Wrath, have taken us through the end of the First Age. Yep, and uh, what a journey it has been. I have a lot of feelings, uh, you know, that... I think through the earlier chapters of this book, I, I guess I felt some of these things or I was thinking some of these things, but kind of reaching the end here, I, I just <laughs> had a very yeah, emotional response. I have response. a feeling we're going to have a negative reaction to this and a more positive reaction to this. Yeah. Because these are some of my favorite chapters. Yeah. But, I, it's not, it's um, nothing against these chapters. It's just like the whole of it, but we'll get to that at the very yeah, end. Yeah. We'll kind of do like a wrap up at the end of how we felt about this book, the Silmarillion and its presentation. Uh, let's get into the first chapter of this section, which was the ruin of Doriath. Yeah. So we're just going to, do what we've kind of been doing briefly recounting some of these uh, stories and then just talking about parts that stuck out to us. Uh, This takes place right after the story of Turin and Hurin is released from his imprisonment. He's really bitter. He's kind of like saying fuck you to everyone that's ever had dealings with his family and led them in his eyes to what happened. And he bitterly gives the dwarven necklace the now glimmer to thingol as fee for you know the fostering of his son and thingol also has the silmaril as we know from baron and luthien yeah. and he decides to he's like hey this thing's cool and this thing's cool let's let's put them together <laughs> and dwarves are also overcome with lust for the silmaril and they use the dwarven necklace kind of as pretense to claim it of course they only claim it after the silmaril is attached to it <laughs> This leads to a bitter feud between the dwarves and the elves. Thingol gets pretty racist. Yeah. Calls them stunted people of uncouth race. And they kill him. And and that's the end of Thingol, Greymantle. And Melian leaves Middle-earth. Baron actually kills the dwarf king and takes back the dwarven necklace with the Silmaril. It comes to his son, Dior, who tries to uh, set back up Thingol's kingdom but then the sons of Feanor are like, well... Well, you got a Silmaril. Yeah. And if the girdle of Melian is no longer there because Melian's left Middle-earth, uh, they just come on down and kill everybody. But this brings about the death of Kelegorm and Kurufin, who Yay, sucked. Yay, they you were know. the worst. Yeah. I know. Um, they really did lead this uh, assault, really. Dior is also killed. Dior's sons are left to starve in the woods by Kelegorm's servants. But he had a daughter who survived, and she escapes with the Silmaril. Her name is Elwing. Yep. So there is a little bit of glimmer of hope that lives on. I mean, if there's one overall theme of Tolkien's work, it's tons of darkness and then like one last little gleam of hope. And then that's like what is so truly important. Yeah, I mean, I I think Melian kind of said it best as soon as Thingol requested that Baron go after the Silmaril. Uh, that was like a, a huge mistake and um, or at least a it was a doomed 
step. Yeah, she's like, you're drawing us into a larger world now. Yeah. Um. Remember the Sindar, Doriath, they were trying to stay out of all of this. They were like, oh, these Noldor have just brought war here. And it's really only because Thingol mockingly sent Baron on this quest that now all of this is happening. And Thingol yeah. is dead. He kind of has brought about his own death. Yeah, and I mean, especially with the kind of like... <laughs> greed lust of of combining the Silmaril with this great dwarven necklace yeah and in earlier versions it was like kind of the treasure of mim that he had cursed gotcha um and so there was this kind of curse upon the gold i kind of like the older version better actually yeah and there were elves that were even um there were elves of thingol's court that conspired against the king with the dwarves we do get here the first major conflict between elves and dwarves. And this yeah. is what carries throughout Lord of the Rings. It's this murder of Thingol that has really inspired all of the elves to hate the dwarves. <laughs> yeah, even though we're told in the story there were two dwarven settlements, right. Nagrod and Belagost. And the dwarves of Belagost, of which uh, Durin's line, like Thorin and Gimli and all of them, had nothing to do with. They yeah. had tried to dissuade the other dwarves from going on this errand. Yeah. And so it makes a lot of the later events with like the dwarves in uh, Thranduil's Hall in Mirkwood yeah. and Caliborn's treatment of Gimli. Yeah. Very uncalled for. Yeah, it's just really rude, really racist and just overall inappropriate and really in bad faith. Yeah. <laughs> Which it felt like that at the time. But I, I think this is like, oh, there's really no like. Yeah. There's no association between the these dwarves and the other dwarves. Yeah, and we know that from the beginning of the creation of the dwarves through Aule's disobedience of Iluvatar, that there would always be some conflict between right. the two. I just think that this event gave that more credence to the elves, but... This is just, you know, like, fanning the flames of, like, a natural difference. Yeah, there's a difference of their nature, yeah. period. Um, just, and, I mean, just like there is between men and elves, you know, that there's, yeah. like, a very natural difference, and they generally stay apart. I mean... Baron and Luthien are like the only elf human couple at this point in time. So yeah, so yeah, that's just pretty interesting. I I always feel really bad for Hurin in these chapters too. Um, just everything that the toll of Turin's life took on him, and even though we know he saw everything through Morgoth's eyes, and he's it's kind of uncalled for when he's you know we know that Thingol tried to do everything he could for Turin, but I just always felt really bad. For him, and that his bitterness um, brings about the fall of Doriath and the eventual fall of Gondolin. Because Hurin had sworn this oath to Maeglin that I will not betray Gondolin. And now we know that he was followed by spies um, yeah. and he unwittingly kind of revealed the location mm -hmm. of Gondolin, or at least the general area. Maeglin will take that a little further in the next chapter. It's just really sad. This was like the mightiest warrior of men and the, probably one of the greatest elf friends of these days. Yeah, I would say, I think I mentioned this last time, was just the story of Hurin and his children is just very unique in the outlay of, of all of the Silmarillion and of the Lord of the Rings because it's like the one example we get of someone really like doing really good stuff. And them being absolutely punished. Yeah, not rewarded. For it. They're like not totally ever punished. rewarded until, you know, supposedly kind of the end of days. But like, 
it, it in their lifetimes they they really don't ever see uh recompense for their their troubles or their triumphs <laughs> they get the shit end of the stick for sure no totally and i mean i, I think it's really interesting how suicide is not a big part of his lore you know everyone's getting these heroic deaths and battles but you know the family of hurin um three out of the four of them all kill themselves yeah it's just a really different morality than the rest of the story um it it doesn't present kind of you know with baron and luthien yeah they go through some troubled times but i mean what they're doing isn't even that like good they're just like retrieving a, a jewel from morgoth um they're giving hope to people, but it's not like being this great warrior or whatever. Like, um, no, it's done to spite Thingle, basically. Yeah, exactly. And Thingle sent them on a quest to a spite Baron. It's a very Baron. selfish thing, um, but you know, their love is inspirational and and kind of inspires a reward. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hurin and his children are like, you know, and particularly his children at the beginning, like, have done nothing wrong. They're mm-hmm. kids, but um, they are forced to lead this like horrible life yeah and then i mean i think the real damage isn't even done until after their deaths like what we see here is like this whole thing with the necklace just leads it spirals completely out of control right and then one of these um the last two major elf kingdoms that are secret have now fallen yeah um and then the other one is about to happen because as we know gondolin would stand the longest of all the elf kingdoms but it would fall right so let's get into that chapter. Okay. It cuts us back a little bit further to after the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, where we learn about Turin's cousin, Tuor, who was the younger cousin of that house, and they never met. Mm-hmm. Turin had left, I think, before Tuor was born, or maybe Tuor was like a really young child. But he's kind of called by Almo to come to the sea. He's one of the first of mortal men to ever see the sea, and, and I think he is the first. And Almo comes to him out of the sea in this very epic moment where i also think he's one of the first immortal men to ever encounter one of the valar mm-hmm. um and almo tells him like i've chosen you for my designs i told turgon long ago i would send a messenger um and you are that messenger to warn him that the doom of gondolin has come i've tried to do my part with the valar i've tried to convince them to like come help y'all but like they're they're not listening to me yeah um they're going to listen to someone and I have foresight that you are going to help bring this person to be, but you need to go to Gondolin. Which he does with the help of uh, Varanwe, a uh, Noldor elf, and he comes there. And Turgon in his pride kind of says, no, uh, we're staying here. Man, the elves are just so hard-headed i know in gondolin really is to turgon what the silmarils were to feanor oh i'm sure it is i mean (laughs) i mean yeah okay okay keep going (laughs) but as we know hurin kind of has revealed the general location of uh gondolin and even though turgon doesn't listen to to war he still knows this is a holy divine man sent by the gods i i should not scorn him totally and tuor falls in love with Idril, his daughter love it and he's just like it's the total opposite of thingol it's very easy he's just like yep of course you can have her hand in marriage yeah uh you're a mortal sent by almo your father you're a messenger of the gods yeah and like your father died so that i could live yeah um yeah totally you're you're good um 
But of course, Meglin is not. Yeah, Meglin's just been sitting there this whole time seething. Yeah. So he's out one day. He's captured by Morgoth's orcs, who are there because of Hurin. And he's brought before Morgoth and tortured and also promised rich reward if he betrays Gondolin. And that reward includes the Hand of Edril. And uh, so, yeah, he betrays, uh, he tells Morgoth exactly how to come there. And also the way of escape so that they can, like, send people to, like, um, kill anyone who's trying to escape. And it's probably one of the worst thing any of these elves ever do. It said he goes down in history as one of the worst treacheries in elven history. Yeah. Um, and it's ironic, too, because Hurin swore his oath to Maeglin. Maeglin yeah. was like, oh, like, Turgon's going to let you go. You don't know how much of a grace that is right. from the king. And he's like, well, if our word's not enough, we'll swear to you, I guess. And now both of them have betrayed Gondolin. Yeah, Maeglin, Maeglin is just like his dear old dad. Yep. Uh, just a piece of shit. A piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, Morgoth sends just tons of Balrogs and uh, some of Glaurung's brood of dragons and armies of orcs, and they just totally uh, raise Gondolin to the ground. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, the king's daughter, seeing kind of the folly of her father, said to her husband, Tuor, was like, we should make a new way of escape and yeah. not tell Maglin. And Idril's really the uh, MVP of this whole story. Yeah, I was going to say, Idril is uh, yet again one of Tolkien's like few and far between, but like really awesome mm-hmm. women characters. Um, she never trusts Maglin mm-hmm. ever from the very beginning. And uh, yeah, she gets herself out of there. She just like knows what needs to be done, like knows we can't trust Maglin. Um, and like I've said before in the Baron and Luthien episode and the Turin episode, when we get to these great tales that Tolkien wrote, which all of the rest of the Silmarillion was really centered around, there's other supplementary stories in the History of Middle-Earth series that I think is really the meat of the story mm. that really fleshes it out. Unfortunately, The Fall of Gondolin was a story where the only complete version was the first version. Mm. So it's the most incongruent to the later writings. But I think it's worth really checking out because they most of the story is just the battle. Yeah. And it's really cool. We hear about how Idril goes around with a sword and is saving like the women and children. Um, she's pretty awesome. She's one of my favorite uh, Tolkien female characters. A lot of people die here. Uh, Turgon dies. In the fall of his tower, um, Gothmog, the lord of the Balrogs, who killed Feanor and uh, Fingon, meets his end in this battle. Again, the fall of Gondolin version goes a little bit more into detail, where one of the lords of Gondolin, he receives a wound in his left arm, so he can't wield his shield. Mm. And he receives a wound in his right arm from <laughs> Gothmog, so he can't wield his sword. But he has a helmet with a diamond spike on it, and he charges at the Balrog. Uh, headbutts him into this great fountain and uh, basically impales him on the bottom and they both drown to death in the fountain. Awesome. It's pretty fucking metal. Yeah. <laughs> um, Glorfindel dies also falling into the abyss with the Balrog, uh, helping the refugees escape. Uh, we'll know he'll come back in Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. as one of the uh, most badass resurrected elves. But yeah, Tuor and Idril, uh oh, and Maglin dies. Tuor throws him off. And yeah, he, just like his dad. Yep. His dad cursed him, and that curse has now come home. 
But really, the main hope of this story is that Tuor and Egil have a son, Eärendil, who was born and it, it survived.